Welcome to Immersive Talks. This is Palmer Foote from Bigfoot Music and Sound hosting episodes with Jump Into the Light around the connection between immersive technologies and the human condition. I want to give a few shout outs. Firstly, to Jump Into the Light, a virtual reality arcade where anyone can experience immersive gaming, art, and the latest technology. You can find out more at jumpintothelight.nyc. Mihao and Royal from Jump help produce this podcast and find incredible guests to be interviewed. I'm a commercial and freelance music producer, and ever since experiencing a meditation garden in VR, my worldview changed. I'm interested in seeing how immersive technology influences traditional concepts of community building and idea proliferation. This episode, I get a chance to speak with Dominika Xell, a multidisciplinary artist who just began her residency at Jump Into the Light. We got into her background and a project she's finishing with another VR space in the city based off an epic story of traveling on a boat to Antarctica. Find out more about Tuesdays at Jump Into the Light to follow Dominika's residency. Dominika Xell, welcome to Immersive Talks. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you uh, for coming through after your travels. You've just been uh, traveling over the winter and uh, and a little bit in the spring too, just down in Atlanta. Yes. Wonderful Atlanta and enjoying that spring weather there too. Yeah. Warmer than here, right? Oh God. <laughs> so over the winter. So over it. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, could you give us a little background on yourself and uh, what brings you to New York? Sure. Um, so, um, I'm originally from Kielce, Poland. Um, I came here in the early 80s, or I came to Florida. My parents ended up as um, political refugees in Gainesville, Florida, of all places. Um, and I spent most of my teens in Florida. Uh, when I was 18, um, I decided to move to New York on my own. And my parents thought it was crazy, which was fine, but I did it, and I just— got in a U-Haul and drove north. With all your stuff? With all my stuff, all my books. That was all I had, books and guitar. <laughs> cool, books and guitar. So yeah. what was your first experience of uh, art and creativity? Oh, man, that, I mean, I've always made artwork, different kinds. I mean, I've made music since I was probably 13 years old. Um, I played in uh, hardcore bands and in, uh, electronic bands. Um, I did a lot of um, poetry work and like kind of poetry and audio stuff in my late teens, early 20s. Um, and then I got into painting. So mm -hmm. I would say painting was something I did for many years until uh, I went to grad school and I got really into um, uh, more like new media stuff. So I started working with a lot of electronics and like hacking um, toys and objects and building sculptures and interactive and immersive works uh, and a lot of video stuff. Yeah, so that's kind of what kind of got me more into the techie art realm. Cool, and now you're playing in a band that's very focused on the techie art realm of music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes we build our own instruments, uh, synths. Charlie builds uh, theremins. Um, he's got that, that famous Hobbes theremin out in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, we play it's three guitars, uh, all connected to different synths. I also make beats. Um, I do a lot of recording, like field recording, so I collect a lot of samples and basically do a lot of drum beats made out of these organic samples. And what, what name do you guys go by? Mood Runner. 
Mood Runner. That is our, our new new rendition. We were playing together for about five years as Blood Flames, mm-hmm. and uh, we've transitioned to a to a three three person piece instead of a five person. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, so so you've experienced a broad range of of art in general and different kinds of media. When was when when did you decide to be uh, a teacher? What what made you want to teach? Um, well, I. I, I started teaching off and on through my 20s, um, just like doing different kinds of art programs. Uh, and then um, I started working in the Bronx at Casita Maria. Um, mm-hmm. And I really loved the kids there. Um, that was just, it was, a, it was a very amazing experience. I taught like photography class. I taught like um, classes that uh, we did sculptures and kind of video and new media stuff. Um, and it was just wonderful, like showing the students how to use different technologies so that they could express themselves. And I found it really um, just, uh, what's the word? It was just, it was just very, it brought me a lot of joy to to see like people thinking that they couldn't use different softwares. Um, and then they learn it and then they're able to make these amazing complex works. Um, mm-hmm. And so then it kind of transitioned and then I started teaching um on a college level, eventually after I finished graduate school. So, were you given an opportunity to learn about media in school yourself? Um, you know what? It's interesting, but not so much. Um, I actually just on my own. I worked um, in documentary film for a while, um, and I worked as a documentary researcher. But I also did a lot of production. I worked in like commercial photography. Um, so. I learned about all the kind of tech behind all of these different forms that I was interested in. Um, and then I would just teach myself softwares. So mm-hmm. um, I teach currently, I think, nine or ten different softwares across the different schools. Wow. You know, and so, um, but I was using these softwares to create my own art projects. And that, you know, then, you know, allowed me to learn it from as a complete, like, novice. But then learn it to a level where I could actually teach it in a comprehensive way way cool. to the students, yeah. What's an example of a software that you kind of didn't know anything about, got to know, fell in love with, and are now teaching? Uh, Unity. Unity. <laughs> Which is a tough one. Yeah. I would say, um, yeah, because I, let's see, I started working with Planeta about two years ago on this uh, VR project. I didn't know anything about Unity. I knew how to do some 3D modeling. Um mm-hmm. And they basically were like, well, this is a platform we'll build the project on. And so I was like, well, if, you know, you're going to be helping me with this. And you guys are programmers. I'm an artist. Um, I also feel like a necessity to learn it. So I just started doing tutorial after tutorial, spent my entire summers like working on Unity and building projects. And then um, I was offered this opportunity uh, through the Graduate Center um, uh, I was given a Mellon grant to create a VR, AR immersive arts class um, that dealt specifically with um, health and the environment. And we were working with a hospital called Montefiore in the Bronx. Mm. And so when that opportunity was given to me, I was like, I really got to learn Unity well so I can teach these kids like how to use Unity. Mm. I shouldn't call them kids because they're adults. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I can, you know, I'm, I'm a kid too. So it's, 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 no, uh, it's not, not against them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, so I really like just dove in and started working um, on building this project um, and creating a curriculum that was accessible because we're also like thinking about um, 
there are artists out there making things and there are programmers programming things. But in a lot of these classes, we have one semester, you can't teach someone to be a great programmer. And these students are usually taking these classes because they're more interested in the creative end mm-hmm. and d- the design. But they also need to know a little bit of that programming. So um, so it was really challenging, but it also helped me to learn the software much better to find a way to create an accessibility to learning this quickly um, and, and with some depth, some level of depth. I won't say full depth because Unity is a very uh, <laughs> multidimensional program. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all these programs seem so deep and so kind of overwhelming to the beginner um, when it comes to whether it's audio or visual or 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 VR now with with something like Unity, a 3D program. So you're taking your life experience and then able to express it through these different media. And with um, with Planeta, what can you describe that VR project that you uh, are working on? Yeah, sure. Um, so this project is kind of like, um, I would say, like a VR book. So it's got three chapters. Um, and it's about, um, I did a residency in 2017, in the winter of 2017, um, uh, and basically sailed on a very small 40-foot 42-foot sailboat from uh, South America to Antarctica. Um, The boat had no heat. We had no hot water for showers, so there were no showers for three weeks. Yes. (laughs) Um, We basically didn't have two engines, so if one engine failed, we were screwed, which every boat that goes to Antarctica has two engines. And we also didn't have enough fuel to use going there and back. So we had to reserve our fuel, so we had to use the sail a lot. So it took us five and a half days instead of the two to three days that it takes normal boats to get to um, the peninsula. Mm. Um, As we approached the tip of the peninsula, uh, we're radioing with the Chilean base. They're saying there's a storm coming in. You guys come around so you can dock. And basically what happens, the storm hits so fast, it breaks a little I think it was like a pin off our sail, so our sail wouldn't function. And then the waves were like six to seven meters high, and they started flooding in. And so our engine got flooded. So we lost Uh. our engine, and the Chilean base said, we can't send rescue. It's too dangerous. You guys need to ride the storm out. All right, so 44 hours later, as we're drifting out into the Drake's Passage, like our, our boat's basically like almost flipping. The captain is like, keep a pillow on your head just in case we flip so you don't get a concussion, which is— Ludicrous now after the experience, but um, about that. But you know, and like half of the people there are you know popping these whatever those um, seasickness pills are, so they're just out cold, and they uh. wake up some of them halfway into the storm. They have no idea we've been at, you know out drifting out at sea. They don't know what's happening. You know, it, it was it was pretty terrifying, Traumatic. and I would say my my real life and death experience that I face, which was like at one point I was just like, okay, there's there's nothing I can do. Either I'm going to live or I'm going to die, and I just need to surrender to that. And then I was listening to uh. um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' um, Between between the World and Me, um, and that was what I was listening to as, as a— uh. and, and, like, that sort of weirdly got me through it. I don't uh. know—I um, don't know, you know, what to say about that, but it was just, like, a very intense experience. And I wow. recorded a lot of it. Um, during that storm with binaural mics. So mm. um, so in the VR piece, it's recordings from the storm. You're on a boat with me, but then there's also a lot of uh, uh, hydro, hydrophonic and um, uh, recordings that are using electromagnetic, uh, an electromagnetic frequency converter, um, collecting different types of sounds of 
the environment and the animals. And so that's a big part of the story. And then there's like a narrative um, that's taking place. And um, you enter like the first world is like you're in underwater in the water and there are like chocolates and bananas floating around and kind of coming towards you and krill and weird creatures. So it's, it's pretty like psychedelic kind of experience. Yeah. Um, and I was also kind of concerned because the sounds of the sea can produce a bit of nausea and VR can also sort of push right. that. So I wanted to make the experience um, something that was really uh, pushing the audio and thinking about 3D audio, but um, not causing people to feel ill. Right. So. And so when you're going for, uh, you know, if you're a music producer going out, you know, to, to do your field recording assignment, essentially, you're going out with this sort of stereo mic. Um, what kinds of things do you think about when you're recording ambisonic samples? Do you approach that kind of archive differently than you would with a stereo archive that, that you have? Yeah, I mean, the, the, what I recorded in Antarctica was actually not ambisonic. It was all binaural. Um, and so I have like this little set of ears. Well, mm -hmm. it's like a, it, look, it looks like a little head on a stick, but without the actual head um, that I had my bandmate Charlie 3D print for me. Oh, cool. Um, and so um, I, I, think about the, I think about it as a person with me and that we're listening to space together. And I sort of bring it closer or further from things in the same way that I would move my ear closer or further away cool. from objects or um, or just or sound sounds in space. Cool. Um, so it's very much a physically moving experience. It's not like still a still recording. And when you go back and listen to those recordings and that art the archive of, of your binaural recordings how are you listening to them, and does that make you feel something different than listening to something that would be uh, out of a Zoom mic or something like that? Oh, yeah. It's—I mean, it is 100% different. Uh, when I got back and I first listened to the recordings, so I listened to them on headphones, and I was, I was sitting on my couch, and I just closed my eyes, mm -hmm. and I got really nauseous. And I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Like yeah. I felt like I was back there, back oh. at sea. I was like, "I am, I'm, I'm having a flashback. This is not. You know, I need to stop." And I, I, I would test, test it on people. I, anytime people would come over, mm -hmm. I would, I would have people try this stuff out. I'd be like, "Close your eyes. Listen to this. Listen to that." I've got recordings of like bees and different things, and you know, mm -hmm. different types of. Um, and like kind of environmental sounds. And I and I always test them on friends. Like if, if they come over for, you know, dinner or something afterwards, we're always, um, I've always bringing, I'm bringing a device out, whether mm -hmm. it's like an optical device or audio. And so, yeah, so I like to hear the responses and how people respond to something. And if something is too much or not enough, um, you know, I reconsider how I approach recording it or, or, or even mixing it, because then I can mod modulate and modify those sounds. Right. Have you ever experienced inspiration to write something uh, like a musical piece from from any of those recordings? Yeah, I actually I have, and I've done a few recordings privately. Um, honestly, like it was it was so overwhelming when I got back with the amount <laughs> of content I had, and mm -hmm. also a bit of like. I had a bit of physical injuries that took about six months to heal. Wow. Um, because of the tumult. But um, 
I, I did write some stuff, but um, I also worked with Planeta um, creating, they, they uh, released an app called Fields, and it's a spatial audio app. Um, and so I'm one of the artists on the app, and the sounds that I have uh, on that app are from Antarctica. Cool. So they're pretty, pretty uh, wild, cool. <laughs> to say the least. How do you see sort of narratives and storytelling changing with these different media? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I feel like we have this new potential to engage uh, our audience as as a creator. As it's not just I'm making a piece. This is the way the story goes. Um, you know, I loved when I was a kid. Choose your own adventure books, and I'm happy to see you know. Bandersnatch or whatever is fine, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to see that we're getting there, which I'm surprised it's taken this long. Right. Um, but to me, I'm like, okay, ch- more choose your own adventures, more possibility, uh, more uh, more freedom as the player to to take on a different role and character outside of uh, just one single assigned point of view. Um, and I think that's really... Um, kind of exciting uh, and I'm excited to see if there will be more of that sooner you know because I don't want to wait 20 years for that I want to see it like in a couple years yeah Yeah. and so you just started your residency here at Jump Into The Light yes Um, and what are you working on here Oh, this is going to be a good one. Um, so I'm working with uh, uh, my collaborator, Sarada Rao, and we are creating a VR— I, won't, I don't want to call it an anti-game because it's not an anti-game. It's an, exp- it's an exploratory experience uh, where you are a mycelia, and you'll be— um, you start out in a six-sided library, and you choose from these uh, this array of sci-fi books, and each book sort of transports you into a— different world connected to this rhizome. So you yourself are a rhizome within a larger rhizomatic structure. And so, for example, you you hit one book and you're you're transported into literally the brave new world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're you're just kind of exploring um, and interacting with different plants um, and different uh, uh, life forms. And cool. and um, and a lot of the world is polluted, and so we're trying to come up with a way where this mycelia can also um, maybe kind of he- heal heal the pollution, and it sort of like resolves in one way. But we're we're not totally sure because we'll just that all just depends on like how complex it will get. But um, we're going to be doing a lot of audio recording with this one too. So audio oh, cool. is going to be definitely at the forefront. Um, so that will propel this experience. And do you find that you may include the the kids that you're teaching um, in this residency? Um, I'm I love collaborating. I've worked with collectives for years, um, uh, with work collective, with yams. Um, it's it's something that's always just been natural for me. Um, so I'm always open when I meet people. Um, and in terms of students, I've told the students about the space, and I said, "Come hang out, come check it out." You know, I, I want them to have, you know, access and get to see what's what's here in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I'm open to it. I I, I always have to be careful because I have a lot of ethical issues with getting anyone to do free work for me, <laughs> which I won't. I won't. I just can't do it. So um, if it's a collaboration, it has to be a real, a true collaboration where, you know. Everyone's credited and people are um, equally uh, credited at that, you know. So I, I just want to make sure that um, 
if I'm involved with somebody, that that is always kind of clear and transparent. Yeah. Do you have any insights into the ethics of creating immersive media? You know, yeah, it's interesting because I actually talk to students a lot about this. um, And I talk with my friends a lot about this. Um, I mean, I think content and context are important. um, And I say that, you know, when we're talking about ethics, you know, we live in a, in a definitely a day and age of artistic appropriation. Um, we, uh, we sample, um, these are all ways of making, and I don't think they're new ways of making. I think we as human beings have always mimicked one another in one form. You know, the, the, the issue comes when, um, when somebody is mimicking or taking and not crediting or compensating. Um, and so I think there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, the remix, creating work via remix. I have no issues with that. But I think it's important that if you're, you know, if I'm, you know, some big player, some big honcho, millionaire, you know, star, and I'm taking from these smaller artists, like, just the credit isn't enough. You've got to pay these people. And so I think ethically we need to be aware of that and that it just should be like, no, you just can't, you can't just steal from everyone. Mm-hmm. That's stealing. If you're not, you know, supporting back, you know, you can, we can all take and give, but you can't just be the taker. So I think that's when it kind of really, um, I find that it's highly problematic um, you know, it can go vice versa. It happens with students and teachers. Teachers steal from students and, you know, might have big art shows showing right. work that was originally from the student. And then the student is kind of screwed. Like, I'm very, like, conscientious of that. I don't—I want to be like, whoa, I'm not—I don't want to take from you. Right. You know, you—you know— there are power dynamics at play here that are not, um, they're just not okay with me. Mm-hmm. So um, those are sort of things that I think about when it comes to like ethics, new media practices, um, and just artistic practices in general. When um, you bring immersive media into that equation, do you find that the conversation is or might change in the future? I do. I do. I think that... Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but we're moving at such a rapid rate. Um, I'm seeing in the last 10 years, the gen- the consensus reality has transformed. People's belief systems, I mean, I, I travel a lot, like, Right. To different parts of the world, to different parts of the country. And I'm I'm very chatty and I just talk with strangers. Yeah. And I see strangers, the com- the levels of conversation that I can engage people in have changed. Like what was once like super weird and kind of like off the beaten path mm-hmm. has become really commonplace. And the level of openness to new ideas and ways of thinking, I think, is taking place. Um, you know, I think one thing we that we have to think about, though, is um, being more conscientious about how algorithms are formed because they're also creating a consensus reality for certain people that's quite detrimental to human beings and humankind. Um, so I think we're seeing through these through the experiences, like the immersive experiences, it's like me meeting you. No matter how I feel about you, when I meet you face-to-face as a human— I'm not going to have hatred or these feelings. And that's like anyone. I've met people that you would think they would be in complete opposition to one another, but they met face-to-face and they were friends. Right. You know? But then when we have this, like, barrier, which is, like, the internet, you know, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't seeing each other. They're forming these really, like, extreme 
you know, ideas about how a group is or, you know, whatever ideology, like real, like extreme ideologies in one direction or another, um, they're not present, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're looking at with like VR and these tools is we're talking about presence. And when that presence is actually there, we start becoming more human. You know, we don't lose that humanity. And I feel like we've, uh, we've distanced ourselves because of a lot of the technologies from our, like, humanity and from our human connection with one another. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of the algorithmic push into an extreme direction is something that, you know, recently I heard on, on uh, The Daily, how it's so commonplace to have one video go into another, go into another, mm-hmm. pushing us into extreme directions in a lot of cases. Do you see a potential for people to kind of come together and take tear down the barriers in, in the virtual space? Or do you feel like there's a— an equal potential for the barriers to be, you know, more affirmed and reaffirmed through whether it's, you know, the the barriers of entry are difficult right now for VR, for instance. So it's only a certain type of person that's going to be able to actually go into these virtual spaces at first is one, you know, idea. Um, do you have a sense or, uh, uh, about that? Yeah, I, th- I feel like um, there's like a critical point <laughs> that VR is at right now. Like, um, and that is, there's a potential to open up and create worlds and accessibilities um, before they're completely monopolized by a singular group, which is what's happened with Silicon Valley. It's a very monopolized um, situation. Um, and so I feel like with VR in general, like because there's so many discussions about wanting to make sure that what is happening in other realms of technology don't happen here. Um, Just that conversation, I feel like, is an entry point to the possibility of creating a more accessible, open world. Um, And also one where, you know, there's thought put into um, harassment, um, put into um, how how do we best engage with one another? Like, um, there's so many interesting um, experiments and projects like that have come out in these last two years um, that deal with these issues. Um, so I feel like I have a I have an optimistic view um, because I think as long as we keep it open, that's great. Um, which I did hear that the new Oculus stuff is they're going to start closing um, down the um, the content um, so who can add content and they're going to make it restricted, which I think is so problematic. Like that is the problem. If you restrict it and you start curating, who are these people you're curating from? Um, I think we need to allow that this open source kind of mentality is what will make things better. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I feel like it's like kind of the uh, uh, what Rupert Sheldrake um, calls morphogenesis, but of technology. Let the progression naturally kind of take place of these technologies by keeping the doors open and mm-hmm. allowing as many people to access it and add to the content and something beautiful will grow from it. You know, once we start closing those doors, then we're closing um, the potential for uh for a free world, it sounds like tyranny or fascism to me. You know, this is scary. Right. And and I think we're seeing the repercussions of that via what's happening in the world today, via social media and and so forth with, with our algorithmic problems. Right. 
Thank you so much for coming in yeah. and talking with me. Thank you. And uh, for being on Immersive Talks. And we're really excited for your residency. Best of luck. Yeah, thank you so much. This is awesome. Brought to you by Bigfoot Music and Sound and Jump Into the Light. If you want to reach out to Bigfoot for commercial music interests and post-production needs, including podcasts, original music and sound, sound design, and much more, contact yo at B-I-G-F-O-O-T-E If you're interested in developing your VR and AR content, contact hello at jumpintothelight.nyc.